Ecclesiastes tonight, the fifth chapter, and uh, I'd looked at a, another message uh, uh, really all week, and I'd uh, thought about, uh, uh, felt like the Lord wanted me to preach tonight, but uh, this afternoon my mind kind of drifted in another direction. Sometimes that happens. That's not because God doesn't know what He wants. I've heard preachers get up and say, well, the Lord changed the message. Well, the Lord's not schizophrenic. He knows what He wants. And uh, the only reason the message has to be changed is because sometimes we don't get it right on the start. And it takes God a little while to get us there. Most of the time when I have two sermons like that, uh, years ago I was walking back and forth in my office up there, had two messages on my mind, didn't know which one to preach, and talking to the Lord. And I said, Lord, Lord, the, the worst place a preacher can be is not have anything to preach. But I said, the next place is when you got two to preach, you don't know which one. And I said, Lord, that's where I'm at tonight. And I said, I hate this. And I said, Lord, I, I want to preach the right one. I don't want to mess it. I want to get the right one. And it was just like the Holy Spirit was there in the office with me speaking audibly, and He said, which one's got the most of Jesus in it? Well, that was easy because one of them was all Jesus. And so ever since then, that's been my rule of thumb when I don't know what to do. I don't, and that'll work with singing. That'll work with whatever you're doing. Which one's got the most of Jesus in it? But neither one of these messages tonight was uh, necessarily uh, all about Jesus. Of course, a preacher, if he's in account at all, he's not going to ever preach anything without putting Jesus in it if he has to stop right in the middle of it and just do it. And R.G. Lee used to say, uh, he'd tell his preacher boys, he'd say, just take a text anywhere and head to the cross. And uh, so uh, that'll work. Uh, but tonight I want to look at this message. Actually, it's been on my heart and mind, I guess, two months. And uh, just hadn't uh, felt led to preach it. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and uh, let's stand, if you would, and we'll read verses 1 through verse 7 tonight. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. If I had a favorite book in the Old Testament, this would be it. I read it several times, many times through the course of a year. Uh, I read the book of Ecclesiastes, and, uh, and I just love it. And, of course, the key to the book of Ecclesiastes is the phrase that's mentioned over and over again where the Bible says, under the sun. And you'll read a lot of things in Ecclesiastes that don't make sound doctrine the way that we New Testament Christians think. But you have to remember, uh, for instance, they'll make a statement like there's no difference between a dead dog and a dead person. And he'll make uh, statements like that. And we have to remember that he's looking at things under the, as it would be under the sun. If you walked out, if you walked out this evening and a dead dog was laying out there in the road and you were looking at it as under the sun, you'd say, well, a dog had an accident, it got killed, man has an accident, and they get killed. But you see, when you're looking at it from, from heaven's side, not from an under the sun, but above the sun, then you get God's perspective. And, uh, and there is a difference between a dead dog and a dead man. Uh, a man has a soul. Uh, both have spirits, but when an animal dies, uh, his spirit don't return to God, uh, the Bible says. And so there is a difference. But this here tonight in verse 1 starts out with all capital letters, and it says the word KEEP, all capital letters. Thy foot, when thou goest to the house of God, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few, for a dream cometh through the multitude of business. A fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. 
Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities. But fear thou God. Thank you be seated. Our fathers, we come tonight. We, oh, we thank you for this book. And uh, Lord, we thank you for what little that we've been able to scratch and pray and dig out of it, uh, Lord, over the years. But yet it seems like so precious little. But fathers, we come tonight. We have read these seven verses that have been pressed upon my heart tonight. And uh, Lord, I not looking for a lengthy long sermon tonight. Uh, if that's what you want, I'm available. But I pray you'd help me to say what I have to say tonight in the way that you want me to say it. And uh, I pray it would give us some understanding, Lord, of these seven verses here in the Word of God. Lord, search every heart tonight. We never take it for granted, even though that everyone in the room may have professed salvation. We never take it for granted that everybody has it. And Lord, you search the hearts. You know the hearts. And so Lord, whatever the need might be tonight, uh, Lord, there's help at God's hand if we'll just get it to you. Now Lord, help me tonight. I yield myself, Lord, to you and pray that you'd use me tonight for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Having only come 15 days into the month, after the month that we often talk about fools. Someone said, the atheist said, why does the Christians get all the holidays? And somebody said, well, you can have one. And they said, what's one? They said, April 1st. April Fool's Day. Now, my text is found in verse 1. If you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline these words, the sacrifice of fools. These verses show that a man or a woman can make a fool of him or herself at church. Now, I'm not bothered that men call me a fool. I'm sure they have called me a fool. Uh, when I first announced my calling and I worked at the factory and I'm sure there were some men that probably, though I never heard them, I'm sure there were some men that might have said that fool. And uh, he'll never make it. And when I left the factory and stepped out by faith in full time, I'm sure somebody said, that fool. Now, it's never bothered me that men call me a fool, but it would bother me if God called me one. And when we look this here, God does not use that word fool just in every, every verse. God doesn't use it. Actually, there is only seven times in the Bible, the King James Bible, there's only seven times that God uses the word fool. Three of them are in the text we read tonight. Verse 5, he said the sacrifice of fools. Verse 3, he talks about a fool's voice. And uh, later on, verse 4, he says the pleasure of fools. And uh, what in the world is God talking about when he talks about going down to the house of God and making the sacrifice of fools. What in the world is God talking about? Well, I think we can find it here in our text uh, this evening for a few minutes. And I want to say that, first of all, a person is a fool when they go down to the church and they go down to the house of God without any preparing. The Bible said here, he said, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. That tells me that there is a suggested fault there that there ought to be some forethought before you go to the house of God. How many times do we think about going to the house of God before we get to the house of God? Well, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about some premeditation. He's talking about how that church begins before church begins. Amen? Uh, oftentimes people never have a thought of church until they walk through those doors. Well, 
The Bible talks about the sacrifice of fools. And I believe one of the sacrifice of fools would be when we go down to the house of God without any preparation. You do not go anywhere without some preparation. If you go to Walmart, you're going to make sure you got a credit card or you got some money in your billfold. If you go down to the gas station, you're going to make sure you got what you need to get gas. If you go down to the grocery store, most of the time you got a list or you got something in your mind and you know what you're going for and what you're going to get. And if you go without a list, you come out with a lot more than you went in there and aimed to get. Amen? You're just grabbing whatever, uh, whatever's in sight there. And so you and I, we have to prepare ourselves to go to church. And I believe that we would have, oh, so much better church if we prepared to go to church before we got to the church. Amen? You see, we seldom ever succeed in what we do not prepare for. Never. Seldom never does anybody ever succeed in that thing that they do not prepare for. Brother Caleb's preaching his second sermon tonight and, uh, and I guarantee you he's prepared. But if he had took the advice of some uh, preachers and they say, well, you don't have to study, you don't have to write no notes, you don't have to listen to nobody else's messages, uh, just go down there and open your mouth uh, and God will fill it with something. Uh, well, I tell you what God will fill it with, He'll fill it with a lot of hot air, a lot of yourself, uh, uh, sometimes nothing, amen. Uh, many of you remember the old boy years ago, bless his heart, he's a good old boy, and uh, I want him to the Lord there in his home, but we had preaching and he announced his calling to preach, and many of you remember when he walked up here to the platform and no doubt somebody had told him, all you got to do is open your mouth and God will fill it. I, and uh, he stood here for five minutes and ten minutes and what seemed like fifteen minutes and, and nothing came. And he looked up and said, where you at, God? Uh, uh, they said you'd give me something. Uh, uh, no, that's not what God said. God said, study to show yourself approved a workman unto God uh, uh, that needeth not be ashamed. Uh, and when you study that book and read that book and pray over that book, God won't let you down, amen. Uh, but I want you to notice here, that we are to prepare ourselves when we go to the house of God. To fail to prepare is to prepare to fail. Amen. To prepare to not prepare is to prepare to fail. I don't care what you're doing. Amen. And so you say, well, Brother Rick, what do we need to prepare when we go down to the house of God? Well, I want you to know that when we go down to the house of God, uh, that our heart is the soul. You remember that parable Jesus told, and my, what a great parable that was. It's one of my favorites about a sower went forth to sow, and he sowed that seed, and he talks about four kinds of ground. And the Bible says that Jesus explained that parable. In Matthew 13 and verse 18, he said, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And he said, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understand it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Can I tell you this? What word of God that you don't understand will not do you any good. Amen. I mean, if you don't understand, it's not going to help you. You've got to understand the Word of God. And then he says, But he that receiveth the seed unto stony places. Stony places, yeah, that's hard places, rocks everywhere. The same as he that heareth the Word and annoy, that means quickly with joy, he receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself. Why doesn't he have root? That ground has not been prepared. Amen. 
Uh, what he's talking about here is emotional here. Somebody goes down to the house of God, they never read their Bible, they never pray, they're not faithful to church, they're not faithful to things of God, but they go down there and somebody gets a singing about mama died or something like that, and they get all emotional and all up in the air, and you say, boy, they really got something. But you don't see them no more for six months. You say, why? It was all just a little emotional thing. I like emotions. I'm an emotional person. When I first started preaching, a dear old lady in our church, a dear old saint in our church, she come up to me after I announced my call and had preached one time, and she said, you're going to go far because you're spiritual. What she meant was that I cried all the time and I was emotional. I was about as spiritual as that wall there at that point in my life. But you see, a lot of people think that emotional is spiritual. I like emotions, amen. And, uh, and I would desire more emotions. Uh, but I want you to know this, that first of all, that Word of God has got to be received. Uh, it's got to be received because it is the Word of God. Uh, it's got to be received whether it makes you cry or makes you laugh. You've got to receive the Word of God. But if you receive it and the ground has not been prepared... Uh, it's not going to last long. You say, why? Well, it would be like you going out there and planting your garden. It's about garden planting time. You go out there and you don't till it. You don't do nothing. You just punch a hole, drop a seed in there. And it's going to come up. It's going to come up more than likely. But you ain't getting too many tomatoes or beans. You say, why? That ground ain't been prepared. And that's the way it is with the Word of God. And he said... He said, He also that receive the seed among the thorns. Well, what's the thorns? Well, that's ground that ain't been prepared. Is he that heareth the word and cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Here's a person goes down there and hears a Sunday morning sermon like we heard this morning. But they say, I've got too much to do this week. I've got too much to do this evening. I can't come back to church. I'm too busy. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but everybody in the whole cotton-picking world is busy. The interstate's crazy. Steve knows. He drives it every day. He's one of them truck drivers you blow your horn at and honk and try to tell him to get out of the way and get over in the lane he's supposed to be in. That's him. But look, the Bible says that you got so many cares and things. I mean, you hear a good sermon, but you didn't prepare to receive it. And before you get out of the door, you done forgot it. It's gone. But, one out of four ground. Verse 23, But he that receiveth seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word, and he understands the word, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. In other words, that ground that had been prepared, uh, that ground that was ready to receive the Word of God. I prepare to preach my sermon on Sunday morning, but do you prepare your heart to receive it? You see, I can prepare for hours on end and pray for hours on end, which I do every, every week of my life. But if you never say a prayer to you, and I'm not being mean or beating you over the head this evening, I'm just saying if you never say a prayer before you get to church and say, Lord, help the preacher to preach good, but help me to hear good. Help me to receive it. Help me do something with it. Well, that's a sacrifice of fools. You're going down expecting God to do something and you ain't even prepared to ground. That'd be like me going out there in that gravel parking lot across the road and throwing out garden seed and expecting God to grow a beautiful garden. It's not going to happen. Why? Because God left a little of it on my side. I've got to prepare the ground. I've got to work the ground. I've got to get the ground ready to receive the seed. And then God will do His part. And then did you, know, did you see there where He talked about in that 13th chapter how he talked about that one that sowed the seed. And he said, That wicked one cometh and catch it away. 
You know why He wants to catch it away? He wants to get it out of your mind before you actually understand that thing. I mean, if you hear something like, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you hear that, and then the devil wants to get that out before you understand that if you're praying in the will of God and praying for what God wants, you can ask God for anything and God said He'll do it. But that devil wants to come and steal that out before. That's why the Bible says not only are we, our soul needs to be prepared, but Satan has to be watched for. Amen. Oh yes, the devil is the best church member I got. He won't pay his tithes, but he's always here. Amen. Every time we have church, the devil, or he sends, a, he sends an ambassador to be here at church. If, he don't, if we're too little, if we're not enough threat to him and he's got to be somewhere else, he'll send some little demon or some little imp over here uh, to, make sure, to make sure that something happens in the service to get your mind off the Word of God. See, we have to watch for the devil. The Bible says it this way. Be sober. That means serious. Be sober. Be vigilant. You know what a vigilante is. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, stalks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Amen. You see the old devil, he get two people out on the porch out there gossiping. And some visitor coming for the first time walks by two people gossiping about somebody in the church. You say, does that happen at a Baptist church? It happens at a Methodist and a Catholic and a Pentecostal or anywhere else you want to go. Amen? That's why the Bible said, Be not many masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that we might turn it about. Behold, the ships, so they be so great, driven of fierce winds. Uh, the Bible said, Yet the tongue is a little member, a man, uh, but it boasteth great things. Oh, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. And every beast and bird and serpent and things in the sea have been tamed of man, but the tongue can no man tame because it is an unruly evil uh, uh, full of poison. Uh, therewith bless we God the Father and curse we men made in the similitude of God. My brother, these things ought not so to be. Amen. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying sometimes it's hard to get people to go to church. Because they know people go to church. Over 42 years, I, I can't tell you of the different numerous times that I invite somebody to church and they work at a certain place. I say, you know so and so, they go to our church. Well, I don't want to come there then. I know them. I, I know how they act. I know how they talk. I know where they go. I don't want to come there then. You see, that's the devil. We have, to, we have to prepare to go to church. You see, well, I prepared this morning. I fixed my hair for hour and another hour put my makeup on. I shined my shoes last night. My shoes are not shined tonight and that's unusual for me. But I run out of one of them little shiners. And I didn't have one. But I will have one. But every Sunday night of my life, my wife will testify that every Sunday night of my life that I, I lay out a suit, lay out a shirt, lay out a tie, get my shoes out and shine my shoes. You say, what are you doing? I'm preparing physically to go down to the house of God. But I need to do that same thing spiritually. And the spiritual is more important than the physical. Amen. You see, sometimes before we can go down and to the house of God and we prepare ourselves, sin has to be confessed. Us Baptists have got it all backwards. We think you go to church full of sin 
You got to wait an hour till the preacher gets done, and then you go down to the altar and you confess your sin. That's not the way it was in the Old Testament. If you went back to the Old Testament and you watched how the tabernacle was set up in Exodus 38 verses 1 through 8, we won't read it tonight, but if you went over there, the very first thing that you'd come to when you went in to the church in the wilderness, the very first thing you'd come to is an altar. Say why? You you had to bring that sacrifice. Second thing you'd come to was that 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 brazen laver and that that thing that was made out of the women's looking glass, that thing with water in it, and he'd have to come in and make a sacrifice, and then that priest would have to wash his hands and get clean before he started back to where God was. We do it all backwards. We come in all dirty and come right on in. And at the end of the service, we want to go down and ask God to forgive us for something. That's not the way God does it, Amen. I mean, if you think that I get a thrill out of being able to say we had ten people come to the altar today, I'd get a bigger thrill out of, say, out of knowing ten people prayed for they even got to church and got their sins and hands all clean. And boy, we had a good service today. Amen. But people come to church and they say, I hope Brother Rick or Brother Sammy or Brother Caleb or Brother Epps or whoever's coming in, I hope they'll preach good enough to make me go to the altar. You shouldn't have to be made to go to the altar. And if my preaching makes you go to the altar, you might as well stay back in your seat. But it's when you see you look in that brazen labor. You say, what's that? That's the Word of God. When you look in the Word of God, that's a mirror. The Bible said the Word of God is a mirror. And when you look in that mirror and you see, hey, I've got dirt on me. I've got, I, I've got smudges on me. I need to go down to the house of God and, and go down to the altar. And even before I get to the house of God, I need to say, Lord, clean me up. Clean me up. We go without preparing the Bible talks about the sacrifice of fools. Notice, keep thy foot when thou goest. So in other words, there's some preparation to do before you get down to the church. Maybe we write out a tithe check. Uh, maybe we get our Bible. Maybe we, uh, maybe we pray. But there's things to do before you get here. And the more you prepare, the better service we're going to have when we get here. And to do anything else is what the Bible calls a sacrifice of fools. Number two, look here. He said, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. You say, why would the Bible say, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God? Well, when we put that together, verse 1 with verse 2, which says, be not rash with thy mouth. When we put them two verses together, it's very obvious the reason why that we keep our foot when we go down to the house of God is so we don't stick it in our mouth. Amen. That's what he's talking about here. You see, church is not about me speaking. Church is about God speaking. As long as you you've got that mentality, oh, that's just that's just the preacher speaking. As long as you've got that mentality, it's not going to mean anything. But the times in your life that there was a marked spiritual difference, people say things like this, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. And can I tell you that when we go down to the house of God and we're going down there not just to hear a good sermon, we're going down there not just to hear singing, but we're going down there to see what God has to say to us. I'm always so very interested when we have guest preachers in. 
or when I'm away and guest preachers fill in, I'm always very interested. First thing I do when I get back is, is, uh, is, is get over here and get the CDs and listen to the sermons. You say, why do you do that? I'm interested in what God says to His church. And, uh, and I believe that if uh, the kind of preachers we get in here and the praying that we do around here, uh, that I believe that whenever we hear a preacher get up here and he, and he preaches and gives his text, whenever that happens, that we can say that God sent this to us. Very few times that, and we've had some, but very few times that the preachers that have stood behind this pulpit and spoke that I didn't feel like God sent that to our church. Whatever the message was, I felt like God sent it to our church. You see, the Bible says that church is about God speaking. Look at verse 1. Be more ready to hear. You go down to church, your, your number one thing is to hear. Somebody said, I'm practicing to be a good speaker. Why don't you practice to be a good hearer? You see, when the Lord wrote those, those seven letters to those seven churches in Revelations, every one of them churches, the Lord kept saying, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Why did the Lord do that at the end of the age? Because there's a lot of people wouldn't listening. Amen. So, when the preacher's preaching, are you texting? Or are you having to listen and then ask somebody else, what chapter is he in? What's his text? Everybody's crazy about text messaging. God's got a book full of them. That's why when a preacher, that's why as I did tonight, a preacher, he says, I'm, I'm taking my text in verse 1 because this is all God's texts. And we need to read them. I don't know about you, but when this stupid thing beeps, no matter what I'm doing, this stupid thing beeps, i got to open it up and see who, who it is. What are they saying? Even though 95% of the time it's nothing. I don't even know them. I don't even know where it's coming from. Well, to do that way with the Bible, whenever God speaks to us, we want to see what God's got to say. You see, church is about God speaking and church is about us listening. Are you passing notes when the preacher's preaching? Are you passing notes? Are you taking notes? Did you take notes this morning? Can you tell me what Brother Epps' outline was? Don't tempt me, I'll make you stand up and tell it. I took notes. Salvation place, secret place, sacred place, separating place, surrendered place. You know why I remember that? I took notes! And if you was taking notes, are we going to Cracker Barrel or? Where's the cheapest gas at? You, you probably couldn't tell me even where he was at when he took his text. You see, man is listening. He said, be more ready to hear. That's here in Ecclesiastes. In the New Testament, he says, be swift to hear. Be swift to hear. In other words, what you need to say to that person beside you, But a lot of times, here's the way it goes. Preacher, be quiet. We're trying to talk back here. Now, as far as I know, nobody texts us while preaching is going on here, as far as I know. And if I find out any father, they still won't be texting here while preaching is going on. Sometimes it's a merger or something like that, but 
my sister sitting right back there, she told me about going to a church one time a long time ago and said the old preacher's up there trying to preach and all the teenagers had on headphones and earphones and they was listening to music or listening to the radio and everything. And I said, not on my watch. You said they'll get mad and leave. There's a door. You see, if you're coming to the house of God to listen to your radio, you can do that out in the car. We come here to hear from God. See what God's got to say to get some wise counsel. See if I can remember this. A wise old owl sat on an oak. The more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. We need to be like that wise old bird. Amen? That's true, ain't it? Yes, sir. You see, we need wise counsel. You know, when most of the problems start in churches, we've been blessed. It might break loose tomorrow. I don't know, but we've been blessed down through the years. We've never had a church split. We've had some splinters, but not a complete splint. A split. But one of the reasons is, uh, prayer, number one, is always prayer, always kept the pulpit hot. And uh, that cuts down on a lot of it. But you never know when it's going to what is going to happen, but I guarantee you, every, every time there's a church problem, there's a church split, there's church trouble, there's deacon problems, there's member problems, every time somebody's speaking when they ought to be listening. Like the old boy went down there, and he was down there at the dock, down at the lake, and he's fishing off the pier. He's casting. And about that time he caught one. And he reeled it in and he brought it up. And it was about like what I catch. The other day I was fishing. And Mike Gibson, of course, he's a, he's a master fisherman. And uh, of course, he's got a $60,000, $70,000 boat. I got a Zebco 33. He's got a fish locator and a fish finder. And it's like putting them in a barrel and catching them. I'm trying to catch one little fish out of this acre pond. And I was out there fishing the other day, and, and about that time my phone dinged. You say, what'd you do? I told you a minute ago what I do. I went over to pick it up, see who it was. Mike Gibson. He had a pile of crappie. I'm not lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. He had a pile of crappie that high. And he had under, under the caption of it, he said, Brother Rick, he said, the best 200 out of 400. And I just caught that little crappie. Had it hanging on the end of the pole there. I got my phone out and I took a picture of it and I sent it back to him. I said, best one out of one. Amen. Amen. Praise God. But that old fellow was down there at the dock and he's fishing. And about that time he caught one about that long and he had it up out of the water hanging on the end of the line. And two, two old ladies come down through there and they are gossiping and talking and coming down through there. And one of them looks over there and she said, look at there, that little old fish, that's pitiful. Anybody catch a little old fish like that, that's the awfulest thing ever was. What kind of man is that? And he heard them talking. And about the time they come right by him, he looked around, held that fish up. And he said, lady, he wouldn't have never got in trouble if he'd kept his mouth shut. Amen. I really can't remember any time in my lifetime that I got in trouble for listening. But boy, I could write a lot of them down I got in trouble for talking. Amen. Well, what is this business of sacrifice of fools? It's when we go to church without preparing. What is this business of Sacrifice of fools. That's when we talk more at church than we pay attention. What is this sacrifice of fools the Bible talks about here? In Ecclesiastes 5 and 4, He said, When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for He had no pleasure in fools. You see, a vow 
is a verbal contract with God. Some of you men in here is old enough to remember this. David Spillman and Sammy. Some of you older men. I ain't saying you, Brother Rich. You've had a rough day. I'm leaving you alone tonight. So you go down there, and used to you go down to the bank, and you say, I want to borrow $500 or $1,000. They say, do you work? Yes, I work down here at the feet meal. How much do you make a month? I, I make $1,000 a month. All right, and they give you that money. Shake hands on it. And at the very most, you might have to sign one little piece of paper. I haven't borrowed any money in 20 years, 25 years or more. I haven't borrowed any money. But I can only imagine what it's like. I have to sign 35 papers to get a motel room for preachers coming in here. But now you know why that's that way? Because back in the old day, they'd always say this. The old man always say this. How many members old brother Ray Wells used to come to church here? Old brother Ray, bless his soul. And uh, old brother Ray, he used to always eat up there at the old Fort restaurant. And I'd eat up there a lot. And every time I've never seen Ray up there eating breakfast that he didn't have a center cut piece of country ham. Ray started having some problems. And he went to the doctor and the doctor said, it's your blood pressure. He said, do you eat ham? Do you eat pork? He said, every morning. The doctor said, well, he said, I don't want you to eat any more pork. He said, Doc, I'm 87, 88 years old and he said, I can eat anything I want and nothing bothers me. So I figure a man my age that can eat anything he wants and don't bother me better be doing it. The doctor said, well, will you do this? He said, will you just eat ham once a week and don't eat it the other six days? And come back in a month. Ray went back in a month and they checked it. Nothing's any better. The doctor said, are you doing what I told you? And he said, no. He said, I'm doing the opposite of what you told me. He said, I'm, I'm eating ham six days a week and messing it one. But here was Ray's saying. This was his, this was his phrase. If he told me once, he told me a hundred times. A man's only as good as his word. And boy, if you ever told him something and didn't do it, he's done with you, buddy. If you ever told him you was going to be somewhere to do something, borrow something, didn't pay it back, and you didn't do it, brother, right or wrong, he was done with you. Because he said a man is only as good as his word. And he was lost. And I, I, I talked to him one day. I said, Ray, you always say a man is only as good as his word. I said, Jesus Christ is the best man that ever lived on this planet. He never said nothing that wasn't the truth. Amen. Believe him. Believe him. Well, we've all made contracts with God. You say, what do you mean? Well, we've all said, maybe during the week, Lord, I know this is wrong. I, I know, Lord, I, I've said some things I shouldn't say. I know I'm arboring some feelings that I shouldn't have. And Lord, if you let me get to church Sunday, I'll go to the altar. And Sunday's come and sermon's preached and you leave and didn't do it. Somebody preached something on Bible doctrine, something, uh, tithing, somebody preached about tithing. I used to tell the Lord, Lord, I, I believe that's right. I'm going to start doing that. And you started, but God always sends a little testing time. You get Your work gets cut back. You get laid off. God does that to see if you're going to keep your word. That's why them little things happen. It's to see if you're going to keep your word anyway. And we, we tell God these things. Lord, if you'll let me get down there, I'm going to the altar and I'm going to get saved. Lord, I'll read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible this year all the way through, Lord. I'm going to the altar. Lord, I'm going to rededicate my life. You're not saying that to me. You're making a verbal contract with God. 
Now, that's why the Bible said, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. I'm talking about sacrifice of fools. Did you know your mouth can cause your flesh to sin? You say, how could that be, Brother Rick? Well, you vow something. You say you're going to do something. And then you don't do it. You see, people don't realize they're not making vows to me. They're making vows to God. And you see, whether I ever hear what you say or not, God hears what you say. That's what the Bible says here. The Bible says, Luke verse 3, For a dream cometh in the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. Notice this. The Bible's true. Do you know when you have them crazy wild dreams? It's when you've just been running like crazy all day, and you're wore out, and you've got so much business you're trying to take care of, and that's when you have them crazy dreams. That's what the Bible said. But before that, he said, Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. In other words, don't be real quick. Say, God, I'm going to do something. Make sure you're going to do something before you tell God you're going to do something. You say, why? For God is in heaven. And thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Verse 6, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say before the angel. You say, what in the world does that mean? I don't know. It sounds like God's got a recording angel. And he says that it was an error. And you say it was an error. That's what we do. We say, well, Lord, I'm going to do this. But then when it comes around time to do it, we say, well, Lord, I, I made a mistake. I, I didn't know this was happening or that was happening. And Lord, I, I made a mistake right here, Lord. And, and uh, you see, that vows between God. It's not between me. It's not between me at all. You know, there's three, four really kinds of people down at the church. And uh, there's the one that tells you what they're going to do but they never do anything. Have you ever seen that episode of Fred Sanford? And Fred has this aunt to come to live with him. But this ain't Esther. This is another one. And she comes to live with him and she don't have no place to go. And Fred said, well, you can stay here. And she said, well, Fred, she said, honey, baby, she said, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to fix you the best breakfast ever was. I'm going to fix you ham and eggs and sausage gravy and biscuits. And I'm going to fix you the best breakfast ever was. But the next morning, she comes through the house like this. Fred has to fix her breakfast. She said, honey, she said, I'm sorry I didn't feel good, but you wait till in the morning. I'm going to fix you some grits and gravy and the best breakfast you ever eat. The next morning she comes in. She said, I got a headache. And Fred has to fix her breakfast. Well, I've met folks like that down at the house of God. They're always going to do everything, but they never do anything. Then, there's the ones that are going to do everything. They don't do anything. But then there's the one that is not going to do anything. I mean, they don't say they're going to. They just ain't going to do anything. And they make up a large population of any church. Thank you, Jack. I needed that in that moment of silence. But then there is the one that just does it. They see what's needed and they just do it. And there's one more. There's that one that's going to do it, but they tell you what they're going to do. God is the boss. I didn't tell God, God, I'm going to preach. I didn't tell God, God, I'm going to start a church. God told me, 
And you see, when we have a servant's heart, and if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, get this. For Jubilee, for whenever anything's going on, whenever anything around the church needs to get done, get this, get this, get this. You don't go down there telling people what you're going to do. You go down there and say, what do you need me to do? God's the boss. Amen. Vows are to be made with care. That's how your mouth makes your flesh sin. Your mouth says something that it never does. And God heard it. And God saw it. Vows, don't forget this, vows are voluntarily made. Like Ananias Safari, when they went in and they said, we're going to give a certain part they didn't have to do that. That was voluntary. You don't have to do anything down at the house of God. God works on a voluntary basis. But when you volunteer on your own free will to do whatever it is that God wants you to do, and you don't do it, the Bible said you've been better off if thou should not vow. And right there, people say, okay, I just won't vow to do anything. I just won't do nothing. <laughs> that won't work either. Because one day you and I is going to have to stand before God and God's going to say, why didn't you do it? What are you going to say then? What will I say then? Vows are binding. Verse 6, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice? I didn't write the Bible, I just preach it. But the Bible says when we do things, we say we're going to do of thy hands. For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diver vanities. Fear thou God. Amen. Fear thou God. I guess the Bible is saying on this last point that when we tell God we're going to do something and we don't do it, we make the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice fools. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we come to You tonight.